On a Thursday in early September, the mail invited seven remarkable people to gather together for the first time. Each of them had been victim or witness to gross injustices at the hands of the police. Two were the relatives of murder victims whose cases had been bungled by the Metropolitan Police. The others had been impacted by the force's inept investigation of false abuse allegations. As they arrived at the Grand House in south-west London, hired for the occasion, these victims of the Met chatted and swapped anecdotes and commiserations. Some have known each other for years. Others had never met before that day. But all were bonded by their shared experience. First to arrive was Alistair Morgan. His brother, private detective Daniel Morgan, was the victim of an infamous axe murder in 1987. But to this day, his killer has never been brought to justice. You know, I knew that there was corruption in this case from within three weeks of the murder, and yet they've been indulged by government, by the Home Office, year after year after year. You know, they never uh, bang their fist on the table and say enough is enough. Alistair had been hesitant about coming to the meeting, but was soon in deep conversation with the second arrival, Diana, Lady Britain, whose late husband former Home Secretary Leon Britton, died in 2015 not knowing he had been cleared of false allegations of sexual abuse. I just felt that the way in which a, an ill man was treated by the Metropolitan Police, mm -hmm. I just think you couldn't have treated somebody in the, then not in the public eye, but he'd been in the public eye, you couldn't have treated somebody worse. Next to arrive were the victims or representatives of victims of the police's disastrous handling of operations Midland, Utree and Conifer. Nick Brammel's father, Field Marshal Lord Brammel, was a D-Day hero and former head of the armed forces, living out his retirement, caring for his dying wife when the police searched his home on the basis of uncorroborated evidence from serial liar Carl Beach. He was a tough soldier, but he, he did say... Um, I'll move on. Sorry. He said he'd never been so mortally wounded, even in battle, as he was by the Met. Nick Brammel arrived with his wife, Pip, who you can hear offering words of encouragement in the background. And I think he felt that because he, he wasn't given any of the benefit of the doubt, you know, that he's... Of course, no one is above the law, and that's right. And if he, you know, if he'd done something wrong, he would have had to take the consequences. But you know, he had an impeccable record. He reached the very top of his profession, and yet, you know, they just couldn't wait to barge into his house. Hearing Nick use the word imbecilic strikes a chord with me. You may recognise that voice. It's Paul Gambaccini, veteran BBC broadcaster, and another victim of a heavy-handed investigation by the Met on the basis of a spurious accusation. Throughout the last 10 years, the Met have been simultaneously institutionally sadistic and stupid. 
we hear the phrases institutionally racist, institutionally homophobic, institutionally misogynistic, but they're also institutionally stupid. A natural broadcaster, he spoke fluently about how his treatment at the hands of the police fundamentally altered his relationships with the country he has come to call home. No one loves a country as much as someone who has chosen to live in it. I came here at the age of 21. I came to believe I was working for the best broadcasting system in the world, which at the time it was, and I went to the best university in the world, and this was the most humane country in the world, and I recommended to my friends that they come and move here, and I can no longer make that recommendation, and it breaks my heart. The trio was completed by Michael McManus, whilst not directly impacted by police blunders, as Edward Heath's private secretary and biographer, he felt he could not stand idly by as the reputation of his long-dead boss was trampled on by more baseless accusations of rape and sexual assault by Carl Beach to the Met and false claims of abuse made to Wiltshire police by other unnamed complainants. Carl Beach could have been discredited with a morning's work at the very beginning, and none of this misery would have been caused. Mm. And I find that utterly unforgivable. And whether it's sadistic, uh, Paul, a word you very correctly use, sadistic, or whether it's incompetent, or whether it's just people trying to make a name for themselves, reacting to the, the negligence over several, I don't know. But this need not have happened. And, and I, I think that is unforgivable. As coffees were handed around, and photographs taken at this historic meeting. That's the clicking sound you can hear, if you were wondering. A diminutive but striking figure entered the room, causing everyone to break off their conversations to greet her. This was Doreen Lawrence, the Labour peer and campaigning mother of Stephen Lawrence, the teenager killed in 1993 in a racially motivated attack. Along with Alastair Morgan, her battle with the Met Police was one of the longest in the room and is still ongoing. From the beginning of Stephen's murder, right from the word go, the denial of what's happened or how we have been treated. And they've used, it's like they use us like a, like a beating stick to say that we are the one who are wrong and they're doing everything that they can. And it's really get to find out much later that those officers that was coming to our house, the liaison officers, supposed to be there to support us. But in fact, they were there to spy on you. The final guest to arrive was Harvey Proctor, former Conservative firebrand. He had been out of public life for decades when the police raided his home and questioned him again on the say-so of Carl Beach. Partial and limited redemption is no redemption at all. The police must be properly held accountable. He was perhaps the most emotional on the day, describing how he lost not only his reputation, but his job and his home over the allegations. I decided to bring this group together because for years I've been hearing independently from each of them their own stories of how they felt they'd been let down by the police, how there had been cover-ups, how there hadn't been proper accountability. And what was striking for me was that it seemed that the bodies which they were accusing were just ignoring their voices. Politicians were ignoring their voices. 
So it made sense to see whether, if they were prepared to come together as a group, that their ordeals would be taken more seriously and there would be proper accountability. Most of this group had never met each other. Some of them had had telephone contact, I think, but never been in the same room like this. And they were from different backgrounds and different political views. Until it actually happened, I wasn't sure if each of the seven invitees would turn up. But they did. And as the day progressed, it became clear why they turned up. They felt angry at their perceived injustice at the hands of the police and the police watchdog. As everyone gathered around the large dining room table set up with recording equipment for the occasion, they were bathed in the glorious late summer sun. But the mood was sombre as the guests began their discussion, which I chaired. Okay, so... Um Thank you everyone for, for, uh, for being here. Um, this has been recorded. I'm very happy for everyone to, to uh, you know, uh, talk directly to each other. Um, I will be sort of driving the conversation forward, but it's really important to have those, those shared experiences that you have. It's amazing to hear it already. Well, well you see, and because we have so many of them, yeah. we almost take them for granted. Oh, do you remember that day I saw the photo fit of Carl yeah. Peter's son yeah. as a murdered yeah. child? Shocking, but not surprising. Yeah. Mm. There's nothing surprising. I began by asking the group about their personal experiences at the hands of the Metropolitan Police. Baroness Lawrence, Lady Britain, and Alastair Morgan exchanged stories of their own treatment. We were the victims. Mm. But we were treated as the perpetrators. Yeah. That's what they did to us, which is yeah. what they did to everybody, is to treat you as a perpetrator rather than the victim. Because yeah. if they treat you as a victim, they're going to have to act completely different. How do you feel listening to that, Diana? I was certainly treated as a miscreant. The, the, the knock on my door was a bit later than yours, Paul. It was about 7.30, 8.30 in the morning. And they barged into the house saying they had a search warrant. They didn't say what for. They didn't say what in respect of. They briefly showed it to me. And I, I called a friend of mine, and she came into the house, and she overheard the, um, the DCI saying, Lady Britain hasn't had any time to hide anything. Well, you can imagine. I, you imagine how I felt. And that was something that, I mean, I put it out of my head now. But it's what I felt, I felt at the time. So, I mean, I couldn't use the word that I'd been raped, because that's not a word I wanted to use publicly. But it was like violation being searched. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same as I do. But somehow it was in that particular time, and the DI then riffled through the condolence letters. Um, I was sitting there just trying to do something to keep my mind occupied. And I just felt that that was such an insensitive thing to do. I can't, I mean, I can hardly bring myself to think about it now, which is why I've put it out of my but head. You were treated like a criminal. I was treated like a criminal. I mean, just shocking. That's violation. And they, and they had no it? right even to have a, a search warrant because my husband was dead. Are you, what are you thinking, Alistair? I was, yeah, no, I was, I mean, I was treated like a suspect. I went into the police station the day after. I can remember I, I'd spoken to Jonathan Reese, one of the suspects, that morning. And I went over to police station because I wanted to report to the police were A, my suspicions of him, and B, uh, what he'd said, etc. And I remember 
I was taken into a room and, with a detective inspector. The first words he said to me, he looked at me like this. And what was you doing last night? First, first, opened his mouth, you know, the first thing he did. And, um... Well, I'm sorry I, about your problem. Yeah, no. What united all of those around the table was that far from an assumption of innocence, they and their loved ones were all treated by the Met Police as though they were guilty. Michael McManus, defending his old bus, Ted Heath, perhaps summed it up best. I think the uh, first observation I'd make, uh, and Dorian alluded to this, is this unilateral change of, of the fundamental principle of innocent until proven guilty. Unilaterally, actually, by the College of Policing. It's advice from the College of Policing, which, which inverted that. Uh, such that anybody who made an allegation should be treated as a victim. Mm. Uh, implicitly, therefore, believed, implicitly, therefore, uh, the investigation takes place on the assumption, the presumption of guilt, not of innocence. And people were invited to call in. Yes. And, and say who had abused them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you would be, you will be believed. The words were, yeah. you will be believed. Yeah. Exactly the same at the press conference uh, on uh, Operation Midland on the 18th of December. Yes, which inverts, you will be believed. And this, as Michael said, inverts the yes. standard yes. Uh, line, innocent until proven guilty. The guests also discussed the ineptitude of the investigating officers. In many of the cases, the investigation could have been brought to a close much sooner had the police asked the right questions of the right people. And I think they're also absolutely useless at dealing with people in the public eye. And so, I mean, I think Midlandbury and Port, I think that's been another area of um, incompetence, um, I don't know, wanting the stories to be true. I'm sure Nick would agree with, with me that they were so desperate that, that these completely <coughs> mad stories, and, and I remember saying to the, um, I had to do the Home Affairs Select Committee, if they really believed that the head of MI6 and the head of MI5 and the Home Secretary and the head of the Armed Forces was, were all together each afternoon um, in Dolphin Square while well, they clearly didn't look at their schedules. And I said, mm -hmm. anyone could have told you that that just wouldn't stack up. It, just, it isn't mm -hmm. the way that life worked. Yeah, they had no appreciation of what his life was like, yeah. his day-to-day -day yeah. routine Didn't even like. ask the, that he even go to the protection office. Yes, exactly. They if they'd done that, they would have understood that nobody could have done any of these yes. things. No, he, was, he had a, a special branch man within the whole Correct. time. Correct. And, and for all his life, just yeah. about, from the time he became a, a serious politician. Another common theme was the lack of accountability for any of the mistakes made by the Met. Harvey Proctor described its refusal to accept some of the findings of the Henrikas report into the failures of the Operation Midland investigation. No individual officer in Operation Midland has been held personally accountable for any of the 43 errors identified by uh, Sir Richard Henriquez in his report. Mm -hmm. And that I find astonishing. And the more I've complained, the more the Met have tried to um, cover up what I know has happened. And as it's developed, I've realised that more things were happening than I initially realised. Doreen triggered in my mind a word, and that is 
the feeling I had from the police after the end of Operation Midland, and that is disposable. They made me feel as though I was disposable. And then to find out that those search warrants were illegal because the judge who gave the search warrants said that he'd been misled and lied to by the Metropolitan Police. And then I complain about that together with eight complaints and the Metropolitan Police of their own decision, judge and jury in their own case, rip up my complaints and then only investigate half of one of them, put it to the IOPC and then to a, um, an outside police force Merseyside, is just utterly astonishing. They decide what's in the public uh, arena and where they accept any responsibility whatsoever. But where there's responsibility, there is no discipline, there is no acceptance that somebody should be held personally responsibility and face the same consequences that I would be outside the police Dorian, does that bring back memories for you about your think, quest for um, accountability in Stephen's case? After the inquiry, you had um, um, so they, they they have a completely different name to it, like the Independent Police. Uh, yeah, it changed its name. Yeah, the IPCC. Yeah, yeah, So the idea was that just you as bad <laughs> that you'd have an independent looking into the complaints of the police, but at the end of the day. No, because they weren't independent, because they had police officers yes. um, looking into the case. So how on earth that can be independent, I'll never know. I've questioned that how, how many times. The system is there to protect the police and particularly the senior police officers involved. They, um, the IPCC and the IOPC um, only investigate things that I've been involved with that they think there's an easy answer to. Anything else, they use the system not to investigate. And then, of course, um, as all of them, and, um, as I said, nobody is, is held responsible, just the reverse. They have been promoted, ennobled, mm. enriched. Mm. And Hogan Howe gets a peerage, and Cressida Dick is made a Dame Commander, yeah. and Keir Starmer becomes a Knight. And Alison Saunders becomes a dam. Well, it will all go on. It's never ending. It's, it, it, it's never ending. Um, that's why, um, personally, I was hoping that we could agree together that whatever else happens in terms of policing in this country, um, the present commissioner should not get an extension of her contract. Harvey Proctor there finishing that discussion and introducing the next major theme. Dame Cressida Dick is the current commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, but in her career she has had involvement in most of the cases discussed at this meeting. Her current contract is up for renewal, and as this meeting took place, discussions are underway for her to receive a controversial two-year extension, something those at the table strongly oppose. Paul Gambaccini picked up here. I think Harvey's suggestion must be implemented. The contract of Dame Cressida Dick must not be renewed. 
I never knew Pinocchio had a sister until Cressida Dick became commissioner of the Metropolitan Police. And I do hope that the Prime Minister and Home Secretary would show the courage of their predecessor, Theresa May, in dealing with the police. She's the only politician of either party this century who's disciplined the police. Yeah. And uh, it is up to Boris Johnson and Priti Patel to show that they have the courage of Theresa May. Your, your dad, great leader, uh, undisputed. I wonder, given, I mean, her fingerprints were all over the Operation Midland debacle and quite a few other debacles now. I just wondered, as a matter of honour, whether your dad, had he been commissioner in these circumstances, would have... He would have resigned. He would definitely resign. What makes you say that? Well, I think he's just a man of, of, of honour. And uh, I think he'd be, you know, been shown to be incompetent or, yeah. you know, falling down on the job. He would have... He would have Put his hands up because yeah. he was of that generation. Cressa Dick has said she's a woman of honour herself. How can I'm she say sure. that when she was called commander for Jean Charles de Menezes? Mm. You would have thought that would be a promotion preventing debacle. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would, have, I would have offered to chip in to fly a representative of that family to this meeting. Mm because they deserve to be represented here as well. For most people, their past catches up with them. She is long past the point where her past should have caught up with her. Mm. Uh, Alistair, I mean, in relation to the long-awaited £20 million yeah. report into Daniel's death, which we touched on earlier, um, not only was a central assertion of institutional corruption in the Met, but it said witheringly that Cresta Dick had tried to block the inquiry panel's work. Well, a shocking conclusion, uh, instantly dismissed by the Met even before yeah. they'd read the report. Apart from all of the other instances where, where, where her involvement has been catastrophic, then, you know, there's this, you know, my brother's case, this report, yeah. it's all laid out there, how she... Yeah messed about with the, yeah. the panel. And if you're not prepared to have their work looked at, their homework marked, so to speak, yeah. then they shouldn't be in the job. How do you put it, Doreen, in your own words? I don't think she should. No. And I think um, there's so many things that's happened on, under her watch yeah. Yeah. that is questionable. And to make out that she's there and supporting the public in a way which she has done. Yeah. You know, the fact that we sitting around the table here that we've had to fight for everything that we've we've got. It, it, nothing's been handed to us. And the Met has a lot to answer for. And Cressida Dick's name has come up so many times, have been involved in so many of our cases. Yes, yes. You know. Mm. Diana, can I ask you as well, because you once led an organisation, you know, we've discussed this in the past, it's not easy running an organisation, isn't it? But you've had to set this the standard, aren't you, to set the culture? I think um, I'm, I'm actually quite interested in leadership. And I think there is a difference, perhaps, between the way women lead and the way men lead organisations. Mm. But nonetheless, the principles are the same. You firstly don't have, you cannot seek popularity. You have to have integrity. Um, you have to have clarity of vision. And you have, I think, if there's anything wrong with your organisation, you have to do your best to put it right. So you have to have a leader in these circumstances, particularly when we've, we're now looking at a number of what we think to be miscarriages of justice. And my view is that the current commissioner is probably part of the problem and not necessarily the solution. 
And therefore, every, um, every commissioner, every prime minister, every, everything is a horse for a course. And I just don't think at the moment, with what we now know, whether she has the correct set of skills to be able to, to do what is needed to do with, with the senior police force. And all we see is this, cu this culture of cover-up. What seems to me, this is as far as Midland was concerned, was that they put their personal and organisational objectives before they put the pursuit of justice and the protection of the public. When we had the, uh, the witch hunt, all of the suspects, including Harvey, agreed that the percentage of honest, hardworking bobbies on the beat was about 90%. Our quarrel is not with them. It's the leadership. The force is corrupt not to, but from the core. Mm -hmm. I, I would go further. I'd say a fish rots from the head. Yeah. yeah. So it's the head of the Metropolitan Police. It's the head of the IOPC that I think should be considered very seriously. And both of the current holders are not fit for purpose. Mm. Again, Harvey Proctor bringing the discussion to its final major point, the effectiveness of the police watchdog, the IOPC, whose job it is to hold the police to account when they have failed to do their job. All those gathered at this meeting have had their cases looked at by some version of this body, yet none feel that its conclusions have been thorough or that anyone has been held to account as a result. In fact, it appears that the IOPC is more inclined to protect the police than to hold them to account, certainly in the case of senior officers. Nick Bramwell picks it up here. There seems to be a huge disconnect there, between Enrique's, Richard Enrique's report and the IOPC uh, whitewash. I mean, yeah. seems... That's why I suggest the police's professional standards departments, certainly of the Met, needs to be overhauled and looked at very closely because I think they are hand in glove with the IOPC now yeah. to thwart truly independent investigations of these matters yeah. and probably have done in the past with the yeah. other cases. The question is always, what is the police so frightened of? Why they go to so extreme yeah. for the truth not to come out? What is it that they're so frightened of? Mm. Well, what is because it? of misconduct, um, because of a lack of professionalism. And I now believe, in terms of Operation Midland, because of alleged criminality. And they don't want any of that looked at whatsoever. Um, has anyone here got confidence in the IOPC? No. 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 Why well, don't? Well, um, there are three things about it, which, which clearly, uh, I'm not the only one that said this to the uh, Home Affairs Select Committee. They are not independent, they are not skilled, and they're not timely. Now, for, mm. And also, they're not a regulator. And I made a point, is if you're going to be a regulator, you have to have teeth, or you have to have power, and you have to use that power. Teeth, it's very critical to know, because you absolutely can't find anything on their website about what constitutes misconduct. Um, I asked why gross incompetence wasn't misconduct. No answer. Because I said in every other profession, gross, misconduct, uh, gross incompetence is misconduct. But they have no answers to that. There are no definitions, there's nothing useful for the public, yeah. there's no template yeah. where you can find out how an investigation will be conducted by them. Yeah. 
in my view, they just they're either set up wrongly, or they're led wrongly, or they're both. But Claudine, have you confidence in the police watchdog and its current guys? Um, no, I think that's what I've always complained about. Because if they were able to investigate um, a police officer, whether incompetence or whatever mm -hmm. it is, you think they they would try and get to get to the truth, but mm -hmm. they already make a decision before they even mm -hmm. started. Right. So. Um, you know, you know, there's nothing going to come out of it, and so I don't even bother anymore. You know, they'll occasionally may send me a note saying, "Oh, we've done this," and you know, it just washes over me because you know nothing's going to come out of it. No courage. You know, mm. nothing at all. Just from the Heath point of view, I have to say two of the trustees of the Heath Foundation went to talk to them informally about making a complaint about Conifer. Yeah. We had an hour with them and thought the whole thing was a complete waste of time, yeah, yeah. and we concluded that they were completely out of their depth. Uh, weren't genuinely independent and mm. we might as well save our time mm. and not bother with it. The discussion concluded two and a half hours later. These remarkable people from varied backgrounds and with polarised political allegiances had found common ground. They produced the first draft of a devastating joint letter to the Prime Minister and Home Secretary, a victim's demand for change at both the Met and the IOPC. From the top downwards, they called for Dame Cressida Dick's tenure as commissioner to not be extended and for her role in all their cases to be investigated. They also called for the IOPC to be given real powers to independently investigate the police and for a credible and legally trained leader to replace the current Director-General Michael Lockwood. The letter has now been sent to number 10. We await a response. Before the meeting took place, I'd been nervous, understandably, about not only whether everyone would turn up, but how they would get on, because they're from different walks of life. And although I knew that they'd had similar experiences, I wasn't sure what the dynamic would be in the room. It was an emotional and at times harrowing two and a half hour debate. There were tears. Harvey Proctor struggled to control himself on occasion. Nick Bramall, was very emotional describing how the Metropolitan Police's Operation Midland inquiry into him had left him a broken man. He used the phrase that his dad had said to him before he died, I'd never felt so mortally wounded as when the Metropolitan Police investigated the allegations made against him. That really was a choker. Lady Britain as well, talking about how she felt she'd been treated like a criminal Six weeks after her husband died, two of her homes were raided. And poor Harvey Proctor as well, man who I said at the meeting was, I reckon, an easy target for the Met over the allegations of Carl Beach. So it was an emotionally draining day in some ways, I think for everyone, because they were sharing their experiences. But from that meeting came a real new energy that together as a group of seven, they could affect change for themselves, but also make the police a better place for the normal man in the street who may not have a voice and find it more difficult, perhaps, to hold the police to account. I think I'll give the final word on this extraordinary meeting to Paul Gambaccini, who summed up the emotion of that day perfectly. 
Everyone here had a unique experience because when you suffer in any way, mentally or physically, it is unique to you. But because we all had suffered uniquely, it was a real band of brothers and sisters. And we are a justice project. And I am mystified that the police have thought we would just go away. I remember Harvey saying to me early on, oh, they hope that you either run out of money, go away and get tired, or die. Well, until we die, we're not going to run away. We're here. And we're going to keep calling them on the carpet. They are responsible for what they have done. In our lives, we are. Why shouldn't they be? To continue to put up obstacles, to not release after all these years the full truth on the Stephen Lawrence case is a disgrace to the country. What happened to Alastair Morgan and the failure to resolve that case is an insult to the profession of policing. And, of course, Operations Midland and most of Utree, a complete sadistic and stupid fiasco. So we must ask the Prime Minister and Home Secretary to reform the police because it refuses to reform itself. And we must ask them to not renew the contract of Cressida Dick. They must act. You've been listening to a special episode of Beyond Reasonable Doubt, a Mail Plus podcast with me, Stephen Wright. With thanks to Baroness Doreen Lawrence, Diana Lady Britton, Harvey Proctor, Nick Bramwell, Paul Gambaccini, Alistair Morgan and Michael McManus. Additional thanks too to my colleagues Richard Pendlebury and Simon Trump who worked on this story with me.